0: What's up everyone and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now where we cover how the environment, our society, and corporate governance affects and are affected by our economy. I'm your host Mike DiCibato and today we are going to talk about two of the biggest oil and gas companies out there, ExxonMobil and Royal Dutch Shell. Each have decided to take a different path in preparing for an eventually decarbonized future, and each is running into its own set of problems. Exxon is facing investor revolt, and Shell is facing internal strife. Thanks as always for joining us. Stay tuned. So every year we kind of knock about and we try to come up with some trends for the upcoming year that investors are going to have to deal with. And we just published a report for the hopefully sunnier year of 2021. And one of the trends focus on the diminishing pool of investments that can meet the provisions that were set in the Paris Agreement as time goes on and as warming increases. And so what we did is we made this interactive chart and we had this thermometer on the side of the interactive chart and you can go there and you can move the thermometer up and down and you can see what society needs to do to change and what investors need to do to change and by investors i mean we created this hypothetical portfolio that shows if you want to invest in companies that help society meet a two degree warming versus a three degree warming versus a 1.5 degree warming then you have to do a bunch of different things i put the link to this chart in the details of this podcast so if you want to look at this then Click on it, go check it out, play around with it. It's really interesting and, and it's enjoyable. Um, but th- what the trend portends in general is that as temperatures continue to rise, investors might find it more difficult to build their portfolios with companies that actually help the world limit its collective emissions. That is, unless investors can persuade companies to make radical changes in their operations. And there is actually an interesting attempt at change afoot in the market. The sort of attempt that would be considered radical option number one. The option that says all the world's companies, i.e. the world's polluters, need to begin reducing their global emissions immediately. And so what's going on is a letter was sent to ExxonMobil by a self-proclaimed activist investor called Engine Number One. It's a hedge fund and it's backed by the second largest pension fund in the U.S., Calcers or the California State Teachers Retirement System. What engine number one said in this letter is that they want ExxonMobil to do four things. First, refresh its board with four independent members that actually have energy experience. None of Exxon's current independent board members have any energy experience. The board members that are affiliated with the company have energy experience, but the ones that are quote independent do not have any experience in the energy sector. The second thing Engine Number no. 1 and Caloser's wants Exxon to do is impose a greater long-term capital allocation discipline that allows for environmentally sustainable value creation. The third thing is to implement a clean energy plan that they will follow, and the fourth thing is to better align management compensation with a changing world. Exxon has said they've received the letter and will get back to Engine Number no. 1 as soon as possible. But due to its size, Whenever calcers lean somewhere, the whole market has to lean with it. But what does this mean in the broader debate around carbon emissions? and a company's responsibility to its shareholders, because they have one big shareholder that's leaning on them right now. To figure that out, I called up Harlan Tufford, a colleague of mine who knows much about the language of shareholder discussions with companies, and he told me that this was a pretty radical move by Engine Number no. 1 and CalSTRS. Radical of course in the context of a highly regulated professional formal document, but radical nonetheless.
1: So the situation at Exxon is a striking example of a rapid escalation in investors' engagement tactics. or Another way to think of it is the end of engagement, the beginning of something more aggressive, Um, real true activist and investor stuff. Um, One way to kind of contrast different kinds of tactics of uh, activism and engagement is looking at where and how the engagement actually happens. Um, and the first and the most common and probably the most effective kind is just dialogue, which is constructive bilateral conversations with the investor on one side of the table and the issuer on the other, and, and they're working to find common ground. These are the kinds of engagements that can take place uh, you know, once or on an ad hoc basis, or, or they can happen regularly over years. And, and they can result in real substantive change, but only if... Both sides are willing to reach across the table and and try to find that common ground. The second approach we see is shareholder proposals, which is a bit more formal. It brings the discussion into the public forum by asking other shareholders to, to weigh in on the issue formally, to cast a vote.
0: And this kind of formal call out of the company, this is what CalSTRS and Engine Number no. 1 are trying to do with Exxon. In a CNBC interview with CalSTRS chief investment officer, Chris Ailman, Ailman said CalSTRS has tried for years to get Exxon to change their ways, but the company rebuffed the investor group continuously. They just basically said, no, we're not going to change. We're not going to do what you want us to do, even as Exxon fell behind its peers in the market. This is a big deal because CalSTRS owns about 300 million USD in stock of Exxon. So when this happens investors have a decision to make they can either sell basically divestment or they can make a more formal or radical move against the company which is exactly what calcers has decided to do and what they're doing with this letter is they're saying look we're threatening you basically we're saying that we are on the doorstep of submitting a shareholder proposal that can go to proxy that can get voted on, you'll have to kind of answer to your shareholders if you decide not to do it.
1: I think I think shareholder proxy contests are a, a, an opportunity for investors to have a bit of a, a referendum on the company's future, um, assuming that the that the the slate that puts forward that's been put forward it represents a, a viable alternative, and and in this case with Exxon. We've, we've actually got two strong boards on, on both sides, and the question is, isn't is which board is better or, or worse, it's, it's which uh, board do investors believe represents the future of the company.
0: Those two boards Harlan's talking about are the Exxon board, their current board, and the Engine Number no. One and Calcer's board that's being proposed in this letter. And basically, what Engine Number no. One is doing as an activist investor and what Calcer's is doing as its backer is it's saying, We want you to take climate change seriously. We want you to take the fact that there could be warming and you could have stranded assets in the coming decades, and you need to make some moves on that because you haven't been doing that, and other players in the market have. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, why beat around the bush? Why suggest a board? Why not just give advice as to how the company should do this? Well, the unique thing about this situation is that shareholder proposals that are focused on climate change have not really been effective in the past years. And they have declined in recent years because of that. In 2016, if you look at companies within the MSCI ACWI, basically companies that we cover, there were 106 shareholder proposals that were officially brought to proxy and voted on by investors. That's 106 in 2016. In 2020 that number dropped to 34. The decline isn't a signal that investors care less about the climate it's just that investors have found that when dealing with climate change submitting a shareholder proposal is a less effective method for getting things done than alternate engagement
1: options. You're not asking the company to to think about their their philosophy, their, to, to climate change, to think about how, how do they see the company growing, how do they see value being generated twenty years from now. You're asking them to disclose this, disclose that. Right? And, and maybe the converse is the company will think about those things in pursuit of meeting the, the, the letter of the shelter proposal and maybe they won't
0: right it's up to the leadership of the company to decide what to do next once they have the data collected and studied and they can make an accurate move on what to do so that's why Calsters and their activist brethren want a board to be put in place in Exxon that will help direct the company into a more as the activists see it realistic version of the future and that is important because i know this is difficult to hear sometimes since companies like exxon have been documented trying to obfuscate this issue but oil and gas companies need to play a central role in the transition to a low-carbon economy we cannot do without them and luckily some are starting to try and change their ways in fact the reason CalSurge feels it has the ability to nudge exxon is because other oil and gas companies are actually trying to move in a greener direction Royal Dutch Shell, for example, is attempting to cut its emissions by 30% by 2035 and to net zero by 2050. And to do that, Shell is already selling, closing, or converting 40% of its refining capacity. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to take the capital saved and they're going to invest in renewable energy, improved operational efficiency at their facilities they want to reduce flaring and fugitive methane emissions and they want to put a carbon price on their project evaluations and this is a serious move for shell because it is a refining company so it's basically a wholesale shift and whenever you have such a shift happening you have some internal strife and some of that internal strife recently became public this week several clean energy leaders have left the company just as shell was about to announce its long-term strategy to transition away from its refining business in total in favor of greener fuels the problem according to reporting by the financial times is the clean tech execs did not think shell was transitioning fast enough away from its core business so i was pretty intrigued by this and i wanted to find out more and i thought about who i could call and i realized my colleague chris Coates covers Shell for us and so I asked him if he could give me some behind the scene details as to what he thinks is going on at Shell and what
2: prompted this change. This didn't really surprise me right like tension is sort of the name of the game and the energy transition and I think you know if you're coming from a wind an offshore wind background like some of these executives were you want to go fast you know probably as you should on on climate transition. Whereas, you know, the leftover oil executives or the, who are running the company, you know, have a different perspective in mind. But I think really what's at the heart of this is probably uh, natural gas and the role that Shell is deciding natural gas will play in its transition strategy, right? Natural gas is sort of uh, a very middle of the road strategy that can make people, you know, happy or unhappy all around. And I think that's what we're seeing here. It's 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 just sort of a slow transition. Shell is realizing it can be a strong player in natural gas and petrochemicals. And if you're a wind executive, you know that's not going to be fast enough for you. So I I think it's it's made people unhappy.
0: Well, is that a fair claim for them to make? Okay, if Shell is all about making these claims that they're going to be transitioning toward a greener future, is natural gas going to accomplish that? It's an extremely controversial form of um quote unquote green energy in the us with some saying it's a vital bridge fuel and others saying it's a band-aid
2: that won't change things one bit well look here are the opportunities as i see them for gas as an executive if you're in favor of gas you can say look we have good returns here and we are decarbonizing right like if this gas is going to asia which most of it is into china especially you're probably displacing coal. And so you are, you know, you are helping decarbonization in that sense. On the other hand, you could be plowing dollars into, you know, zero carbon solutions right now, like like wind and solar. And of course, you know, every dollar spent on gas is not spent on that. So I think that's really what's at the heart of this. And I think it, it speaks to the moment of the, the transition that's underway right now.
0: I mean, to me, I think this all points to the importance of having a board or leadership that understands the necessity of this transition. Because in Shell's case, it's shutting down its refinery business or closing about 40% of it. It's having to deal with the adverse financial effects of this transition. So what happened earlier this year is Shell Oil Co., the U.S. subsidiary of Royal Dutch Shell, wanted to sell this 240,000 barrel per day oil refinery in Louisiana in the U.S. And to put that into context, that's about 8% of Shell's 2019 capacity. Unfortunately, Shell could not find a buyer for this. And in mid-December, it decided it was unable to find a buyer and that it would just decommission this oil refinery uh, at a cost to itself. And so I thought that was kind of fascinating. I wanted Chris to tell me more about what that meant for Shell's future and the industry as a whole.
2: What this this could speak to here is sort of the bumpy road for companies who are trying to lower their, their carbon footprint. Uh, decarbonize some of their assets, right? So, getting rid of a refinery points you in that direction. But if you can't sell it, you know, that's going to sit on your balance sheet now, but not generate any revenue. And I think, you know, if we head toward a disorderly transition, right, where pe- companies do little for a long time and then suddenly decide to do a lot all at once, it's going to be very messy. And I think you're going to see a lot more of this sort of like, you know, s- stranded assets or at least hard to sell assets that um you know companies lose value over
0: i mean that's where these two stories tie in together exxon and shell they're dealing with different situations but it all comes down to what the kind of company leadership is and what that leadership is going to do into the future because if moves aren't made then you might find yourself in a situation where you have a refinery business that's worth little or less than what it was a couple years ago. And you might have people knocking on your door asking why you didn't decide to make a change sooner when the evidence was so apparent. And that's it for the week. I want to thank Harlan and Chris for talking to me about this week's news with the issue twist. And I want to thank you so much for listening. If you're listening on a cell phone, please don't forget to rate and review us. It always helps and it always helps for me to hear what you're thinking. I appreciate all the emails you've gotten. I will respond to them as soon as possible. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks so much and talk to you next week.
3: The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to and or received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotion or recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.